Welcome to the Feather Desert, a podcast all about desert bird feeding in the southwestern region of the United States. Welcome back to the Feather Desert, everyone. And today we're going to be talking about goldfinches. So the title of our podcast today is Gold Feathers in the Desert. And in the southwest area of the United States, we are very lucky to have three distinct species of goldfinches. The rest of the United States has American goldfinches almost all across North America and uh, a portion of it, lesser goldfinches. But here in the southwest, we also have Lawrence's goldfinches. So we're going to talk about those different species. We're going to talk about how we can attract them to our yard. We're going to talk about the specific seed that they like to eat called Niger. Give you a little history about that. And then we'll also do our plant spotlight at the end, which we have related to finches today. So we're going to go ahead and start off with our first goldfinch, which is going to be the American goldfinch. I'm going to start off with that one today. This one, as I said, is found all over the United States, actually found up into Canada as well. And these are the ones that people, your eyes just pop right out of your head when you see them. They're bright, bright colors in their breeding season. The males will actually have a black forehead and they're a bright, bright yellow on the back and their belly, like a super bright, almost fluorescent marker type bright yellow. Then they have dark black wings with white wing bars. And that's one of the easy ways to distinguish a goldfinch from other types of birds and other finches is that white wing bar on that black wing. Now the females will be a little bit duller and they'll pretty much look the same throughout the entire year. The males will start looking like the female out of breeding season. So the females will be duller yellow all over their entire body. They'll have the dark wings, not quite as black, but they'll be dark wings and then they'll have those white wing bars. Now during the breeding season, the males will be that pretty bright color, but they'll fade um, and look like the females during the rest of the year. So for those of us that live here in the Southwest, we see these guys in the winter time. They overwinter with us. So we actually see them more in their duller colors. And then right at the end of their overwintering season, the beginning of our spring, we'll start seeing them start brightening up. So when you see them here in the Southwest area, they will kind of be in their transition. So they don't always look their best when they're around us. They kind of look like they need a little bit of help. But one of the interesting things about this specific goldfinch is that they are the only one that actually has two molts throughout their season. It takes a lot of energy for them to do that. So that's one of the reasons that if you do feed goldfinches, uh, you're gonna see them gobbling down the stuff at the feeders which we'll tell you all about when we get to our specific feeders and how to attract them. So that is the American goldfinch. And keep an eye out for those. These guys are specific migrators. When we look at them and classify them, they are a migratory species because they will live up in the Canada and northern U.S. during the winter time, I'm sorry, during the springtime when they're breeding, and they come down into the southern United States and um, Mexico, northern Mexico for their winter season. All right, so that leads us actually to our lesser goldfinch, and Cheryl's going to tell us all about them. 
Yes, this tiny goldfinch is very common in the, the west, southwest, like Kirsten just mentioned. And the lesser goldfinch is easy to overlook until you learn its little chiming and twittering call notes. And what I found most interesting um, about learning about the lesser goldfinch is its call. Um, it's a cheery little bird and it likes to sing. It's very small, so it has a high-pitched um, song. But the male's complicated song, it usually includes short imitations of the songs of other birds that it lives around. So it mimics, not something you normally don't think of in finches. And they can mimic up to 26 different short um, uh, stanzas for uh, bird songs. So they're quite the musician. Lesser goldfinch is about three and a half to four inches long uh, in height, smaller than the house sparrow or the house finch. Its wingspan is six to eight inches. Um, wings are long, pointed, short notched tail, and it has a tiny stubby bill. Males are bright yellow with black caps on their heads and white patches on the wings. And here in the west or southwest, you can see males with glossy black backs or a dull olive green. And I didn't find um, much information about why that is, but I think that the dull olive green is a camouflage trick that they use when they get into the scrubby brush. So depending on where they um, hang out most. Females and immature birds have olive green backs, uh, ye dull yellow underpants, which I think that's cute, <laughs> and black wings marked with uh, whitish wing bands. And one of the ways that you can actually identify goldfinches um, when you're out there birding or just looking in your backyard is they will, when they, in their flight, they flap three times. So they'll flap their wings three times and then there's a dip because they pause. So they almost look like they're fluttering from three, tree to tree. So if you see birds fluttering from tree to tree like butterflies, but you can determine that they are birds, um, that's probably a lesser goldfinch visiting your backyard. Lesser goldfinches uh, forage in flocks, except when nesting. Uh, they have uh, generally two broods a year, so they'll, the female will lay, lay um, two sets of eggs, uh, usually three to six, um, depending, I guess, on her health. And they start about April and they go to mid-autumn, um, which I thought was a little long for um, a long breeding season for this little bird, but I guess it depends on the weather and um, food. Their eggs, this is another thing, their eggs are pale blue. We normally don't see the egg of the goldfinch. Pale blue to a pale blue green and usually not, usually unmarked. And I found, I find bird eggs fascinating because they're so individual and uh, distinctive based on species and species and even the individual bird. Um, the female chooses where the nest is and so, and she builds it. So it's all her. She's the home designer and anywhere from three, uh, excuse me, five feet to 30 feet up in uh, above the ground. Um, she incubates the eggs for 12 days and the male tends to her. We would all like that, wouldn't we? Sit on our, our cushions and have <laughs> the male feed us and tend to us. Absolutely. Like kind of a fantasy there. Um, but then they both, both the male and the female will take care of the babies once they hatch. Now... Um, something to note, this bird is not largely studied, so there's very little to know about how long the nestlings stay in the nest, 
how long it takes um, a nestling to um, go, go to a fledgling, so how long it takes the birds to leave the nest and then, you know, how they get along on the ground. It's, it's really quite an interesting bird, but it's overlooked. And another um, bird that is interesting that is overlooked here in the Southwest and is often confused with the lesser goldfinch is the Lawrence goldfinch and Kirsten. I'm interested to hear about that. Yes, the Lawrence's goldfinch was one that threw me for a little bit of a loop. I didn't even know there was a third goldfinch here in our area in the United States. And this one is actually specific to California and Arizona itself. And that's probably why I never really heard about it. I've only lived in uh, the East Coast, really. I did a couple of years in California, but I didn't, wasn't big into birds when I was there. So I did find some very interesting information about this one. And the... Males here will have a black face that will go from the top of the crown of their head all the way down underneath their beak, and then they'll have a gray head and neck. And so only really their breast and their wing patches are yellow. So hmm. they're in the same family as the goldfinches, but they're not quite as covered in that gold as our other ones, which is I thought was very interesting. A different way, just enough to catch someone's eye, I guess, and, and then the rest of it's camouflage. The female will actually mostly have a gray body, and they'll have a bit of the yellow on the chest, just a tiny, tiny bit, uh, like a dusting of yellow on the chest, and then they have those yellow wing patches. And those yellow wing patches will actually give them away as being a Lawrence goldfinch. Because our old other goldfinches do not have the yellow patches on their wings. So if you see something and you're not 100% sure what's going on, but you're like, oh, it looks like it's a goldfinch, and you're in the Southern California area, or it's winter in the valley in Arizona, you may be seeing a Lawrence's goldfinch. Uh, the other thing that's really interesting about these is that their migration is very unusual. So mostly when we talk about migration with almost any kind of bird in the United States, they're going north to south, south to north, depending on what time of the year it is. The Lawrence's goldfinch goes east to west, yep, or west to east. So they actually spend most of their spring and summertime in California, but they will come over here into the valley area and a little bit below us for winter. So they're kind of like other snowbird people, I guess, around the country that decide that Arizona is the place to hang out in the wintertime. So that's an unusual type of migration for the Lawrence's goldfinch. And, but pretty much everything else is very similar to our other goldfinches that we know. The, we don't know as much about them either, like the lesser goldfinch, as Cheryl was saying we don't know too much about their behavior. So when I was doing some research to get to know them a little bit better, the, the biggest thing that came up was their travel. Their migration is so unusual from east to west. And it's interesting, hopefully those of you out there in the science area listening, uh, you'll be inspired to look into the lesser goldfinch and the Lawrence's goldfinch, because the more we know about their behavior, the better we can be about protecting them and living with them. So that is our Lawrence's goldfinch. So the key to that one is keep uh, looking for the yellow on the wings and um, gray on the head for the male on the, the back of the neck during their breeding season. And that will tip you into a Lawrence's goldfinch. 
Kirsten, I was with the Lawrence uh, goldfinch. I wonder if that's something, a bird that we should watch considering um, habitat changes happening in southern uh, California. I think so, yes, especially with the last few years where we had really bad fires in uh, California all over the place and in places in Arizona. Yes, it is a very good idea that could be an indicator species for us. And yeah, I think that's excellent. A good idea. Keep an eye on that lesser, that Lawrence's goldfinch. All right. So the other thing that we wanted to throw in there was a cousin of the goldfinches. And we have a reason for talking about this guy. And we'll let you know after we do it. But Cheryl's going to tell us all about the pine siskin. Yes. Pine siskins are another one of our very small songbirds. It's smaller than the American goldfinch. And it too has a short notch tail like the lesser goldfinch, but its bill is uniquely shaped. It has a slender, it's slender than most goldfinches and it's sharp pointed. So it has a, a slimmer, sharp pointed bill. And there's a reason for that. Um, pine siskins are light, uh, cream colored with brown and dark, dark brown streaks, subtle yellow edgings on the wings and tails. So what they get confused with is not only the, the goldfinch, but they also get confused with the house finch, the female house finch, because she is um, streaky with those same colors, but she's more muddled in her streaks. They're not as defined. Pine siskin has more defined um, streaks. They, um, so you notice the yellow on their wings when they're um, fl flying from tree to tree or fluttering on branch tips or displaying during um, mating. Now, pine siskins are very gregarious. They're very, they're very social and they forage in tight flocks and twitter incessantly to each other during flight from tree to tree, when they're sitting, when they're talking, when they're bathing, they're always um, talking, always twittering. They prefer um, evergreen mixed deciduous forests with open canopies. So they can be observed clinging to branches of pine trees and conifers, and sometimes hanging upside down um, to get to seeds. These little birds are opportunistic and adaptable in their search for seeds, so they will often find weedy fields, scrubby thickets, backyards, gardens, and bird feeders. They mix right in with the American goldfinch, the house finch, and the lesser goldfinch. And this winter, I was lucky enough to have at least five pine siskins on my Niger feeders um, from February, from the end of January to just about the end of February, so a little over five weeks. And Kirsten is going to tell us why that happened. Yes, now this is why we decided to throw in the pine siskin in there. And the reason that Cheryl ended up with pine siskins in her backyard, we in the southwestern uh, valley area here, is unusual to have the pine siskin really at all during the year. But when that happens, it's called an eruption. So that's an eruption with an I, not eruption with an E. We do not have any erupting volcanoes spewing out birds or anything. We have an eruption. And what that is, is when a bird is found in an area that is not typically found. And usually when that happens, it can be anywhere between two to five years. Usually it's cyclical in that way. And why we find them is because they've had a really good breeding season and they've had all of their chicks survive because they have a lot of resources or they've been able to have uh, both of their 
clutches survive if they are a multiple clutch bird like our lesser goldfinch that can have more than one clutch a year it means everybody did really well because we had banner resources that year and then when they all grow up they're like wow there's a lot of us and then they're competing for resources so they'll actually spread out into the areas that they're not typically found and they'll move into areas where they're following the resources and so here in arizona we have such mild weather all year round we have lots of resources to offer birds and so that's how we ended up with the pine siskin and it will happen every few years like i'm saying uh, and it's it's that cycle when the resources are high during breeding season then you can forecast that you'll probably have an eruption of birds in an area where they're usually not found and it's often associated with finches but there are lots of different types of birds that will have eruptions i lived in maryland for several years and one year we had a snowy owl eruption and they had so many and they did so well up in canada that they actually came farther down into maryland and when the birders heard about that there was this one lone snowy owl in the neighborhood and people were just like they stepped out in the morning like wow these people in my neighborhood all these people with giant binoculars were looking around at the roofs of houses trying to find the snowy owl. So eruptions can happen with all sorts of different types of species. And when that does happen, if we are nice and prepared for our goldfinches or our siskins, then we can attract them to our yards. So what we wanna let you guys know about next is the different types of feeders that there are for finches and how to attract them to your yard. So Cheryl's gonna tell us a little bit about that. So yes, yeah, so there's several different feeders that work with the favorite seed of the goldfinches and that's the and pine siskins and that's the uh, Niger. And your local Wild Birds Unlimited store should have these variety of feeders that um, available to you um, that we're gonna talk about. And I'm gonna start with the simplest and go to the more specific. So the simplest feeder is a sock feeder. It's generally a strong nylon uh, mesh type of material and um, it just has like, um, oh, I don't know what it would be called. A little pull string. A little pull top. string at the top to um, hold the seed in and to hang from a branch or from a hook. Usually holds maybe a pound, a pound of seed at the time. And what's fascinating and really interesting about goldfinches is they'll eat upside down. They'll eat sideways. They, as long as they can cling to it, they will pull the little uh, niger seed out they take the little black shell off and they eat the white meat that's on the inside. So sock feeder is usually the um, simplest, easiest, most um, economical sort of feeder you can buy. It can be a little messy and you do need to be um, aware that um, house finches, house sparrows, and your lesser goldfinch or other finches will be attracted to the feeder um, as well. And generally sock uh, feeders are the best the most successful if they're yellow. Kirsten will talk about why yellow is so important to the uh, goldfinches. Then we have a, uh, the mesh feeder, which is um, similar to the sock in, in the idea, except that it's a screen mesh. The holes are slight, a little bigger so that it's a little easier for the finches to not only uh, hang on to, but to pull the seed out. It works the same way as the sock. And again, it gives them, it's generally circular, so it gives you a view from your window of the whole, um, all, four, all, all the sides of it, and you get to see your goldfinches hanging upside down. 
uh, upside right, sideways, uh, diagonal, however which way they decide that they're going to eat that day at that time. The um, third one is just a perch feeder. Um, Wild Birds Unlimited stores have several sizes of perch feeders. The, the finch uh, seed tube feeder or the perch feeder will have a small hole so that only the finch can work the hole and pull the seed out because it's uh, designed specifically for the seed and the bird. So again, it's more specific. And instead of clinging, they perch. And with perching in feeders in particular, I found in my yard that goldfinches will wait in line. So if you hang your feeder where there's a branch nearby, you will actually see them line up. They're very polite, social little birds, so they'll chit chat while they wait for the restaurant seating to open and um, a perch is available. Then the most um, specific one is called bottoms up feeder or an upside down feeder. And since goldfinches, especially the lesser goldfinch, is it the American goldfinch will do it too? I have, down? yes, I have seen the American goldfinch when I lived on the East Coast actually hang upside down and eat as well. But yeah, the lesser goldfinch, since it's our smallest of all of them, does seem to be a little more successful with the upside down feeder. Okay, so it's, they liked actually, I don't know whether they prefer it, but they really like to hang upside down and they can eat. So an upside down feeder provides the perch um, above the hole and the, and um, so that the bird can hang upside down on the perch and get the seeds out. So he's, that way it's only the finch, the lesser goldfinch or the American goldfinch that is on your feeder. And like I said with the sock or even the other perch feeder, there's other birds that are a little bigger that you might not want to attract, like the house sparrow or the house finch, that would be able to access the niger seed um, on the, the three before mentioned feeders. But on this one, you're only going to get the lesser goldfinch for this uh, southwest area. And um, no matter what feeder you choose, I would like to just gently remind people that um, please keep it clean. A lot of the feeders, actually all of the feeders that are offered at uh, your local Wild Birds Unlimited store um, come with cleaning instructions and um, we certainly can uh, help you out with that and they are designed to be uh, easy to clean. But finches are very social little birds and dirty feeders can spread disease rapidly among them. So it's really important that we're um, conscientious about um, keeping our feeders clean. And saying that, it's also known with goldfinches that they are seed connoisseurs. So they enjoy a variety of seeds. Actually 96 to 90% of their diet is seeds and seeds alone. Um, I do know that the lesser goldfinch will eat little insects like aphids at certain times of the year, but that's not, that's, that might be opportunistic. That's not what they eat all the time and nor do they really need it. They can go without eating that aphid. So don't depend on them to keep your roses aphid free. <laughs> <laughs> um, they like wild uh, spaces that are weedy. So weedy fields and scrub brush, open areas with wildflowers. So if that doesn't sound like your backyard, well, you can attract these little uh, darlings by including native wildflowers or native uh, shrubs in your yard. And a lot of native wildflowers and shrubs actually grow well along a walkway um, 
or in a pot on your patio. And you're gonna see why that's an advantage when we get to plant spotlight. So Kirsten, why don't you let us in on the secret of Niger and the secret of yellow. All right, so yes, the secret of yellow. When you come to one of your local Wild Birds Unlimited stores and you ask to see the finch feeders, you are often going to be shown feeders that look yellow. And you'll be like, oh, they're gonna match my birds. How nice, very fashionable. And there's a reason that they are yellow. And it's mostly because birds, bright colors attract birds. Over the last few years, we have discovered that birds see diff color differently than us, and they actually see in much, much brighter colors and a different combination of colors together allows them to see different colors than we can see. So the yellow is a very bright color that's extremely attractive to almost any kind of bird. Specifically, the finches that we want to attract to our feeders, they are often attracted to flowers that are yellow. Now, when we're talking specifically about goldfinches, they are often attracted to aster-type flowers. And the one where we get niger from is actually yellow. So that's why that yellow is on there. It's a bright color that's going to catch the eye of the bird in your backyard. And also, if you end up getting one of the sock feeders, that was one of the first ones that I ever used. And I remember being a little kid, and my mom was like, we're going to put sock feeders out and see what we get. And we got yellow, or sorry, we got white socks, and then we put a yellow ribbon on it. And that's what we've always been told, put that little yellow ribbon on there. Now we have scientific backing, uh, scientific information backing that up saying that the yellow will attract them because of the color so that's why almost every feeder that you see will have yellow on it it mimics the flowers that they like best and it also is a bright color to pop in their eye so as cheryl was seeing saying they are connoisseurs of the seed and thistle is their seed of choice we call it thistle here often in the united states and around the world but it doesn't come from an actual thistle flower that we are used to seeing here in the US. It was actually called thistle in the 1970s. That's when they started calling it thistle because it was originally called Niger, but the way they spelled it was unfortunate. They spelled it N-I-G-E-R, which can be easily mistaken for another word that we don't want to use. So they started calling it thistle in the 1970s. And then um, a few years later, there was an organization, the Wild Bird Feeding Industry, which has become an actual industry by itself, a company, and they decided to stick with Niger and respell it. So they now spell it N-Y-J-E-R. Oh, that's very interesting. Yes, and that actually leads you to say it more in the proper way that you want to say it. So this Niger actually comes from an aster. It's in the aster family. The scientific name is Goizotia abyssinica, and that's the specific flower that the small, tiny little black seeds, when you go into your local store, that's what you're buying is that. And it only comes from uh, India and the surrounding areas. So we're not actually able to grow it here in the United States as an industry and all the good stuff does come from india anyways in india they actually use it to break it down for oil mm -hmm. for cooking and for lighting using that in oil lamps and that really is the good stuff and i can tell you 
the birds know the difference between the good stuff and the not so good stuff. So if we're getting stuff that's been made here in the U.S. or like slightly, oh, we can grow a little bit of this and throw it in a bag and the birds will like it. They are picky. I have done that where I've gotten a lesser brand of Niger, put it out, and they're like, mm, no. I had two house finches, like, just like, yeah, we'll eat it. Sure, it's here. And as soon as I got through with all that and I got the good stuff from my local WBU store, I had finches galore. Everybody came. They called their friends, their family, their neighbors, and they said, come, <laughs> this is the good stuff. And so then they were eating through it a lot faster. But, yes, they can tell the difference between good and the not so good. The Niger, when it comes in, we do import most of it, as I was saying, because it is from India. Uh, they sterilize it. So it is one of the seeds that when you put it in your feeder, you're most likely not going to get anything growing underneath your feeder. Now, that's not 100%. It's possible if some of the seeds fall down into the ground and it has enough moisture and enough sun, you might get a little couple of Niger plants growing up, but they won't last here. They don't like our environment very much. But we sterilize them when they come into the port so that they are nice and clean and they haven't brought any other kind of seeds in because we don't want any invasive species coming in with our Niger. Now, a lot of people also ask, well, why Niger? Why are they attracted to the Niger specifically? It's a highly nutritious food for these goldfinches. And it's very high in oil. That's why in India they actually use it for cooking oil. And it has a very high fat content, which is important to these tiny little birds. I mean, they are small and they're using a lot of energy to move around and stay alive during the day. So this Niger is perfect for them. But it also has really great proportions of protein and carbohydrates. So it's very well balanced. It's almost like a superfood for them. And that's why Niger is a really good seed to offer when you're attracting goldfinches and then finches of any kind. And that is kind of a little history on your Niger. Oh, that's very interesting. I found it fascinating when yeah. I was actually able to look everything up. And I also always thought, well, why can't I just grow my own Niger here? Ugh, that would just take a lot of effort. And especially in the desert Southwest, yeah. that aster plant is just going to laugh at you. And then it's going to die. So uh, just check out your local WBU stores. Almost every store carries them and they will hook you up with some good stuff. Yeah. And those finches are picky. So they know the good from the bad. Like yes. Said. Now, as we were talking about, these great little goldfinches, especially the lessers, love to hang upside down on their, their food source when they grab onto the end of that flower. So now we know that that's what they like to do with these aster plants. So we're going to talk about our plant spotlight. And yes. Cheryl's going to know, let us know what we can do here in the desert southwest to plant something to attract these goldfinches. Well, I'm very excited to share this. Um, plant with um, our audience and you Kirsten. It's a favorite native flower of mine and it's called blanket flower, Indian blanket flower, desert fire wheel. It has a lot of common names. Um, I'm not as good as you so I'm not even going to attempt the scientific name <laughs> but if you went into your nursery and you looked at seed packs um, it would be either a desert fire wheel or desert uh, blanket flower or Indian flower. So that's, um, that's how I found mine. Uh, totally by accident because I like the picture on the color of the seed pack. And I planted it in my yard. It grows about 18 inches high. It has a long, lanky stem. So I used um, those cone uh, wires that you use with tomato plants mm. to help support it to keep it going up because otherwise it will 
um, flow out of your pot and um, which is interesting because I had one do that and one I uh, supported. It has uh, long green broad leaves so it it looks weedy it's a native um, wildflower but just wait till you get the blooms. The flower is similar to an aster in other words it's got that big seeding uh, middle um, it's bright yellow and it's the petals are a little fringed but they're bright orange they're yellows and they're reds looks like a sun and it just pops with the the uh, soft green um, leaves and stems it can be planted anytime from february to the end of march so i actually planted mine early because i was so excited and i had some receding and i just wanted more of them um, so I planted them at the end of January, and they're, um, I thought it got a little cold for them, but they're doing fine. They're, I'm going to get flowers really soon. It, because it's a native plant, it requires minimum water. It's a desert wildflower, so you don't want to overwater it. So really pay attention to the um, instructions. You want to water it um, while it's germinating, but once it pops up there, it really only needs to be watered like it would, well, where I want to say like we would normally get rain, but I don't really know what that um, is anymore. So just make sure that it doesn't start to wilt and it doesn't get stressed. Um, if you are worried and you put it in a pot, you can move it um, to the shade, light shade, because it does need a lot of sun. And it really, really comes into its own the warmer it gets. So in August, this is a really nice plant to have in your backyard because that's when it's at its best. Um, the flowers are quite vibrant and the blanket flower while it's blooming attracts butterflies i have had queens i have had um bright i don't even know the names of all these butterflies that have shown up on these flowers i've had native bees where i've actually watched the native bees pull the nectar out of the little um, nectar ports that the flower has in the the middle it's a, it's a wonderful um plant to, uh, flower to have in your backyard when you get the lesser goldfinches, well, just when you think you're going to pull those seedy little ugly dried up balls of uh, flower off your plant, that's when the lesser goldfinches will descend out of nowhere and literally cover your uh, blanket flowers and just they will just pull all those little seeds out. They will hang upside down. They will be bobbing like they're on um, el elastic. They twit and twitter and they just really enjoy this flower in particular. And they do what birds do, and what they've done in my yard is they have replanted my plant, because my um, blanket flower grows in large pots on my patio, but they have chosen specific areas where they have replanted these um, wildflowers. So I'm really looking forward, forward to seeing what um, the birds have planted in my yard this spring and I know that I'm going to have more spots of blanket flower and I just really um, who doesn't enjoy a bird garden it's just a wonderful addition and it does well on walkways or um, in pots on the patio so it's wor really worth a try I think it sounds excellent. It does everything we want it to do. It makes something pretty for us. You already said it's attracting butterflies and bees. And then we don't even have to clean it up because the birds will clean it up for us. And yes. then we're done. Yes. I love plants that are... Somebody else takes care of them. Yes. <laughs> somebody else takes care of them besides me. Well, that's all our information that we have about our gold feathers in the desert. This... Uh, 
podcast. And we're glad that you guys joined us. And we hope you learned a little bit about uh, goldfinches. And hopefully you guys have been inspired to try a finch feeder in your yard if you have not yet done that. So thanks so much for hanging out with us again. And we'll see you next time. Yes, thank you.